good to be back with you. You know, for more than three months, I didn't have to sweat a homily. So I, this is like, uh, reminding myself of what this anxiety feels like that I've been living with and will live with for the rest of my life. My homily today, though, brings out a little more anxiety than normal because it's on a subject that I think can touch a lot of people off and upset some people. And so I do it with a bit of trepidation, but hopefully under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to preach on the Blessed Sacrament, which is what the Gospel is about. Jesus is teaching his apostles and the multitudes that he is the living bread come down from heaven and he's going to proceed to teach them about his true presence in the Blessed Sacrament. But what I do want to preach about is our second reading from Ephesians. Ephesians is maybe a six-page letter, depending on how your Bible is is built. So it's not that long. You could read it this week, and it wouldn't take too much of your time. But it's very instructive, and I I, I want to reread it and then go into my homily. Brothers and sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling must be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. So be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant fragrant aroma. Right before this, this begins in chapter 4, verse 30. Right before in, say, verse like, Chapter 4, verse 26, the Holy Spirit is saying to St. Paul and to us, he says, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Satan is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Then it begins this reading, brothers and sisters. I have no idea why the bishops in the 1960s took that first part out. Because I think it's super, super important. Of the seven deadly sins, demons are attracted to all of them because they'll do whatever they can to get us to go to hell with them one day. But fallen angels have never experienced gluttony or lust or, um, or greed for that matter. They have no connection because they don't have bodies and they, they've never been fascinated by the material order that God created. When they see somebody filled with wrath, they see a kindred spirit. And I give this homily every year because I find that I've got to because we're just in that place. They see a kindred spirit because that's something that they share in hell. Of all the fallen angels and all the people in hell, the only thing that unites them in a common cause to bring about the destruction of the human race and to drag us all into hell is that they all mutually hate They hate us, they hate God, and they hate each other with as much passion as they hate us. But when they see someone on earth falling into anger, falling into a critical spirit, falling into slandering others, etc., or unforgiveness, then they see themselves in that person. And they fly to that person, and they stoke it, and they encourage it. And they whisper in her ear that you're justified to be angry. You're justified to lash out at other people. But we're not. We're not. I'm not giving this homily for any one person. I've already heard 70 confessions and 
I'm hearing this. But it's real. It's real. And probably every one of us have experienced this at one point in our life or another. Some people experience it regularly. Wrath is their default vice. But for many of us, it's not that dominating in our lives. But it's still there. Being away for three months, I got to spend two months with monks and, and, uh, and then a vacation too. And I got a chance to speak to a lot of different people. And there's this real kind of, in our world today, a real sense of foreboding that things have broken down and have become uncivil. And we can't have a rational conversation without somebody getting upset. And there's also related to it a sense that this is unsustainable. And it is. The inability to speak to other people in a civil way where we all do somebody where just people get too upset that's not sustainable when we look at our society today our world we've got all kinds of examples of this not only in the world but but in the church and then of course in marriages and in families too in the world we see arguments over divisions and real passions over whether people will wear masks or get vaccinated. And I would say that that has become worse than the virus itself. The Olympic athletes or NFL athletes. NFL athletes are all millionaires. The lowest paid one makes 400 and something thousand dollars a year. The lowest paid one who sits on a bench and never plays in a game makes basically $500,000 a year. The highest paid one, I think, is making over $60 million a year. And they take a knee to protest whatever they're protesting. They got it made. They're multimillionaires playing a game for a living. That's as good as it gets. There's critical race theory. There's economic worries about inflation and the breakdown of the supply chain because there aren't enough minimum wage workers out there, or workers in general, if you will. Everything's become politicized. Even in the church, the Pope trying to end the traditional Latin Mass and how upset that makes some people. And then the various bishops and pastors trying to uh, establish COVID protocols around how open the church will be and what we're going to do here and there. And people are upset about these different things. It's just everywhere. It's just this upset, this, this wrath is everywhere. And it's devouring us. It's devouring us. Where there is anger, there are demons. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. After he rose from the dead, he appears to his apostles in the upper room, and they all cower, frightened of what he'll do to them for having abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane, or worse, denied that they even knew him. And his first word is, Peace. Peace be with you. I give you a peace that the world cannot give. Where we've lost our peace, quite simply, we've lost Jesus. We've lost God. And what we've gained are the demons. And they're real. St. Paul says, we're in a war with principalities and powers. Things beyond what we can see and imagine. Be aware of that. When we find ourselves falling into a very angry moment, 
or I should say even a critical spirit, or speaking ill of another, or unforgiveness, know that there is a demon that's preying upon you right now, preying upon you, and wants you to join him in everlasting fire. And the reason why the demons are so quick to fly to someone of wrath is because that's who they are. You're a kindred spirit to them. You're on your way to hell with them now. And so they come to you and say, you're justified in your anger. They're wrong or that thing's unjust or whatever. You're, you have a righteous anger and it's not righteous. It's destructive. It can ruin those people and things that we hold most dear to us. Nothing on earth is perfect, and it's all passing away. Nothing on earth is perfect, and the earth is passing away. My life and yours, it's, the more you squeeze it, the more it travels through your fingers and is gone. Everything in heaven is perfect. Everything in heaven is perfect, and it's forever. And I say those two things to give us some perspective, because we lose perspective. That ultimately, it's all about God and eternal life. And in that perspective, it gives us a real good handle on how to understand people and situations in this world. I can't fix you. You can't fix me. We can't fix each other. We struggle mightily to fix ourselves, don't we? There are things about ourselves that we wish we could just wish away and be gone, and they're not. Bad habits, sinful things, faults and failings. And we try to fix ourselves, and yet we find that we don't, or we struggle, and we discover that we can't fix anyone else. So if I can't fix anyone else, if I can't change you, then I can't be holden to anger to try. That's misplaced and and an opening for the enemy. We can help other people. The seven spiritual works of mercy to instruct the ignorant. Let people know what the truth is. Admonish sinners where there's sin. We need to address that. Counsel the doubtful, people not knowing which way to go. Forgive injuries. Bear wrongs patiently. Imagine Jesus carrying that cross to Calvary, carrying every sin that every human would ever commit on his back, patiently bearing it to Calvary. Praying for the living and the dead. Becoming holy doesn't happen overnight. Getting rid of a vice doesn't happen overnight. That includes anger. If anger is your thing, it's your besetting sin, then it can be improved upon greatly. But there's no magic wand that gets waved and it's suddenly gone. It's like any other fault or failing. It takes time and practice and perseverance to overcome it. Think of a weightlifter. Arnold Schwarzenegger at one point in his life was a 150-pound guy. Maybe he was 10 years old and he was 150. I don't know. But at some point, he was only 150 pounds. But at some point, after years and years of bodybuilding and steroids, he got to be 250, 300 pounds of 
looking like a rubber doll kind of, kind of guy. But it didn't happen overnight. When we find ourselves filled in a moment of anger, it's, first of all, important to recognize this. What am I feeling? I'm feeling anger. Can I maintain control? Okay, if I can't, then what do I do? Well, if you're with other people, now might be a good time to go. Now might, now might be a good time to go. And to pray. I, at times in my life, I have been in moments of anger, and I could feel demonic depression demonic presence and I would pray and pray for hours and hours and do my best to separate my people from myself from people and just pray Hail Marys and Our Fathers over and over and even then you know the anger keeps coming in keeps coming in interrupting the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys but finally after hours it passes finally after hours it passes and the next time it's not so bad it doesn't last as long Apologizing. I've mentioned this a number of times in different homilies. For some reason, apologizing is incredibly hard for people. You think, well, why should it be so hard for people? It just is. I remember once I apologized to a class of second graders because I had said something that upset some child who told their mom, who got all the moms mad at me, and the teacher told me, was like, okay, to put out this fire, I just need to go to the second grade class and apologize for this thing. I don't even remember what it was. It was apologize for this thing. So I apologized to the second graders who were oblivious to whatever it was I was apologizing, except one little girl said, well, thank you for apologizing. And for some reason, I felt like a sword just went through me, and she like twisted it, and I was like, ah! You don't even know what I'm apologizing about. I mean, there was this... And then I was thinking, what is this? Why is apologizing so hard? Why is it so hard? The fallen angels never apologize. Never. But people who love each other do. They do. And it's not that they have to apologize for the thing that they believed in, per se... But they maybe need to apologize for the way they behaved. And if that's not happening, then then we're on the rocks. And we're heading in the wrong direction with the wrong company. Everything in heaven is perfect. And it's forever. Jesus is with us now. And he's always trying to be with us. Please... Please, know that the world's passing away with all of its problems and all of its imperfections. And so are we. And we're in training now to go to that kingdom where there will never be, a never, never be another problem. Where all things are made new and perfect, including you and I. But to do that, we better be thinking on God. The big picture. God. And to think about him and to behold him, for there is his peace. I finish with Jesus' words. Peace be with you. Amen.